0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermon's podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are excited that you are joining us as we enter into the season of Advent and make our way to the celebration of Jesus' birth. This Advent season, we are looking at Emmanuel and asking the question out loud that many of us are thinking, is God with us? You can join us here on our YouTube channel, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, our website, ccgf.org, as we explore this question, experience Advent, and look to God's word for his promises. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that you have given us to hear from you. Lord, I ask that you would give me your words, that you would speak through me your truth, so that we can all be blessed and encouraged and built up together as the body of Christ. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. So Ray read our scripture story for today, which is out of Luke chapter 17, and it's the story of these 10 Samaritans. And upon hearing that story, I already know what you're thinking. You are thinking, whew, finally, we get to take a Sunday off. We don't have to feel guilty. All we have to do is sit back and judge these guys who died a long time ago for being completely ridiculous. I mean, shame on them. Really, shame on them. I was raised better than that. I always send a thank you note when I get a gift. I say please and thank you when I'm at the table or in a situation that requires those manners. I would never do what those men did. I would never be someone who didn't go back to Jesus and say thank you. It's ridiculous. And honestly, that's the natural response to this story. I think it is for me and for a lot of people to read that and sit back and like, Come on, guys. And I'll admit, the nine men in that story that did not go back, they don't come off particularly great. It's not really a strong look for them in the story. However, I would hold off on judgment for them because there's some things happening in the story that I think we need to understand. And there's some ways that each and every one of us is not as far off from those nine men who did not come back as we might like to believe. So let's start by breaking down what happens in this story and looking at that together. You've got 10 men. They're standing at a distance from Jesus and his followers and presumably the crowd that was with him. They're saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now, the interesting thing about this word leprosy in the New Testament, it's actually kind of an umbrella term. It's the same thing that is borrowed from the Old Testament. It's not one specific disease. Uh, We have a modern day leprosy, but leprosy in the Bible meant a lot of different things. basically meant a skin condition. And and honestly, the range is pretty huge from psoriasis or a rash that will clear up all the way to what we know as modern day leprosy, which would have been very severe and often carried a death sentence. But even though these men were in varying states of trouble and struggle and hardship, they all had one thing in common. They were unclean. And this was a huge deal in the Old Testament people of God culture. Because if you were unclean, it meant that you had to live away from your family. And if you were unclean, it meant that you couldn't go to the temple and offer sacrifices. You couldn't worship with anybody else. You had to be completely set apart or else you would make other people unclean as well. And so for some of these men, some of these lepers, they were in a state where their very life was on the line. And yet for every one of them, they were in a state where they were isolated and alone, probably very fearful because they didn't know what was going to happen to them or how long their condition would last. Maybe it would be for the rest of their lives, they would never get to worship or offer sacrifices. Maybe for the rest of their life, they could never be in the same house in the same room as the rest of their families. And and they had no way of knowing. So their condition was incredibly serious. And then Add to that, at least one of the people in this group of 10 was a Samaritan. Now, if you're not familiar with the, you know, political and social history of the ancient Near East, which is a fascinating topic, I'm guessing most of you are brushed up, but I'll catch the couple of you up who are not here with us on that topic. Samaritans weren't particularly well liked, especially by Jewish people. You see, they were from a community that was mixed, half Jewish and half Gentile. And so much of the identity of the people of God was tied up in the idea that they were separate and set apart from the rest of the world. Most of the things that were done in rituals, a lot of the things that were done in practice, were to set God's people apart to show them as unique and called to follow him. And see, the idea of mixing that with the world around was a very offensive thing to Jewish people. And so this guy, this Samaritan, he's already untouchable, And he is someone who is looked down upon by these Jewish men that he would have been around. So he was an outcast of outcasts. And these 10 men, forced together unwillingly by their condition, they they know that Jesus can heal them. And so they, they come as close as they're allowed to without risking making Jesus or anyone else unclean. Not that you could, but that's very kind of them. They got as close as they needed to, to call out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. Our situation is terrible. We just want to be with our families. We just want to be healed. And in some cases, Jesus saved my life. And Jesus says, okay, great. Go to the priest and be declared clean. Now that was the official process for being able to rejoin God's people or rejoin, in the Samaritans' case, his Samaritan community. The priest had to be the one to declare you clean before you were able to go and worship, before you were able to go and be in your community. And so these 10 men, trusting in Jesus' words, they left. And as they were going to the priest, they were miraculously healed. But only one came back. Of the 10 people that went and received miraculous life-changing, family-restoring, healing, only one came back. And that was the Samaritan, the outsider of outsiders. Now, this would have been a scathing critique of God's people, and it would have been probably pretty offensive to his mostly Jewish audience. It's, it's a shocking turn in the story that unless you have that cultural context, you might not understand. And an interesting aside to this story, how many times does Jesus love to use other than the least of these People in hardship to teach lessons to those with power and strength who seemingly have it all together. The adulterous woman, the good Samaritan, widows and orphans and people in distress used to teach those who seemingly had it together. And I love that. I love that because I think that's a kingdom value. That's something that Christ wants us to reflect as well. Caring for the least of these. So what was their problem? These nine men. And more importantly, what was not their problem? You see, their problem was not a lack of faith. And I think that's interesting. It gets passed over a lot in reading this story. These nine men had no lack of faith. Jesus told them to go after they'd asked for their healing. They left immediately, as far as we know, and on the way that they, they were healed. I would contend that those nine men have more faith in them than most of us here today. They didn't wait for the healing. They were so confident it was going to happen, they just, see you later, and They were healed. That's amazing. These were men of faith. And yet, they did not return to give him thanks. They did not return to praise him. They took the gift and they ignored the giver. But I want to extend the benefit of the doubt here a little bit. Maybe they were so excited about what had happened in their life, they simply lost track of something that was important. But I've been there. I've I've been so excited. I've lost track of something important. Maybe they were just excited to be with their families again. Imagine, some of these men might have been separated for a very long time. We don't know their stories. And they had this sudden opportunity to go and be reunited with their community, to worship and offer sacrifices in the temple. Maybe they had very noble reasons for missing out on something that is very, very important. Another thing they weren't in Jerusalem at this moment. Jesus was traveling, it says, between Galilee and Samaria, meaning they would have had to make a pretty long journey to go to see the priest. And if they were to turn back when they received their healing, that would make the journey all that much longer. And if they returned after they went all the way to Jerusalem, we're talking about days and days of travel here. This is not going down to Sheets to get declared clean. This is walking quite some distance to be declared clean. We don't know why it is that they didn't return, but we do know that this Samaritan did. And I want to tell you guys that I don't think that their problem was simply a lack of gratitude. That was just their first problem. So they did have this. Their problem was a lack of gratitude. However, it's not the whole problem. The lack of gratitude was evident. They did not return to Jesus. They did not thank him, even though the Samaritan man did. We don't know what their heart was. We don't know what their state was, but we do know by their actions that they lack this gratitude. But I wanna tell you that the lack of gratitude was a symptom and not the disease. Now imagine with me, if you will, that your appendix is infected. This is a pretty serious thing that can happen very unexpectedly. It's supposedly extremely painful, and you have a fever, you have this severe pain. You go to the doctor and they give you a medication that takes away all the pain. You feel great, 100% better, and does nothing for the uh, infection In your appendix. Well, you're probably still going to die from that infection. And the same way, if these men in this story only learned gratitude, they would be missing out on something very, very critical that they needed to have. This lack of gratitude, this prioritizing maybe going with family or going to worship or whatever it was over returning to thank Jesus, it was a symptom of the problem. It was not the problem itself. And the critique of those men, and by extension, the critique of the people of God in the community, was this. They were missing the point. They were missing the point. The healing that they received was, in fact, a means to an end. It was a means to an end. The healing that they received was meant to bring them back to God. Now, mind you, some of us do lack gratitude. And I think that's, that's important. I don't want to gloss over the very first thing in the story. I think there's a bigger point. But this point I don't think should be glossed over. We do sometimes find ourselves with a lack of gratitude. My son Hudson, who is two and a half, is not one of those people. If you want a lesson in gratitude, go to Hudson and join him in his nighttime prayers. We read our Jesus story, we sing our song, and then we say our prayers together. And that kid gets gratitude in a way that I don't. You see, he thanks God for everything in his prayers. He thanks God for hot dogs, his cousins, the yellow toy car, the blue toy car, the red toy car, the green toy car, our neighbor's dog, playing with his grandparents, reading books. He has thanked God for his eyes. He has thanked God for his ears. He gets gratitude in a way that we don't, I don't think in my entire life that I've ever thanked God for my ears or the green toy car. He understands that everything he has is something he can be thankful for to God. And I would hate for any of us to miss out on the opportunity to experience the contentment and the joy that comes with giving thanks to God. We need to be people who experience gratitude. And even in the most difficult circumstances, we can always find gratitude for the work of Christ in our behalf. For the Christ who came, lived a perfect life, died and rose again. That is always a place where we can experience gratitude. But again, a lack of gratitude is not the biggest problem in this story. It is one, and it's a problem that we need to be aware of, but it's not the biggest problem in this story. The biggest problem is that those nine men missed out on Jesus. How terrible is that for them? Those nine men missed out on, a, on an opportunity To walk with the Messiah. They were so caught up in the experience of being healed. They were so caught up in maybe the journey to Jerusalem to be declared clean and everything that came after that, they missed out on Jesus. What a terrible loss that had to have been. What a shame. Jesus healed these men as a way to bring them back to himself. He healed them to bring about a restored relationship with him. The healing was a means to an end. And in missing out on that, they missed out on the greatest thing that they could have received. They missed out on the ultimate gift because they were satisfied only with the first thing that Christ did for them. That was meant to be a signpost pointing them to him. That is their biggest problem. They missed out on the better gift because they were satisfied with the lesser one. It's a lot like this picture that you're going to see here up on the screen. I'm sure made with the best of intent. And it says, in case of fire, do not use the elevator. Use the stairways. But what's important is right below it, that series of dots. That's called Braille. And it's an essential instruction for those who are blind to be able to read signs and interact with the world around them. Now, for those of you detectives in the room, you've already figured out the problem with that sign. It is printed on a piece of paper, and therefore, those braille dots are completely and totally flat, and therefore useless to the only people that they are intended for, blind people. And if we are just focused on the material things that we get, if we are just focused on anything else, we are like flat braille. We are missing the main point of what we should be doing, who we are supposed to be. And even if we are grateful for God's physical provision, or if we're grateful for God's spiritual provision, and we miss him, we miss the point. We miss out on God's salvation sometimes, people do, because of the blessings that they have. They get focused on the fact that God has blessed them with a lot of material wealth, and they may experience some sort of broad sense of gratitude. They may even experience a gratitude to God, but they miss out on the bigger thing, his salvation, because they've been materially blessed. Or they've been blessed with a wonderful family or a job that they love. And you can thank God without really knowing Him. We see it all the time. I think it's, it's sort of a cultural thing, especially in America, that happens quite a bit. We can thank God without really knowing Him. And even more, we can thank God without really following Him, without doing the next thing, which is being drawn to Him. And what a shame if we settled only for that, that experience of being thankful When we could have this full and restored relationship with God. Worse still, those of us who are saved, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, who have trusted that Christ is our Savior, we might miss him even after we are saved. The nine Jewish men were ostensibly followers of God. They had faith. They obeyed in going and trusting in that healing. And yet they still missed out on the most important thing. They missed out on Jesus himself. They missed out on their Savior, their Messiah, time with Him, an opportunity to walk with Him, simply because they got sidetracked on lesser things. Now, I don't like this quote that's going to come up here, because every time I read it, I feel more and more convicted. It's a quote from a writer-preacher named John Piper from a book, God is the Gospel. But I think it's one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves as followers of Jesus, and it's a really perfect heart check For those of us who are wondering, am I someone who's satisfied with less? Am I missing out on God Himself? And the quote is this The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, and no human conflict. Or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Can you find your sufficiency, your everything you need, without Christ? Is Christ a means to an end or is he the end of the road? Is he the object and the destination of your faith or simply a way to avoid punishment, avoid hell, avoid negative consequences? The point of this story is not just that we should be grateful when God blesses us, which we should. Don't lose track of that. We should be grateful. The point of the story is not just that we should be grateful. The point of the story is that God desires for us to be drawn to him. And he does anything and everything in his power to put signposts in our way to point us to him. Blessings meant to cause in us feelings of gratitude that point us to him. Struggles that help us to realize our limitations and say, Lord, I never, I I don't know why I thought I could do without you, but now I definitely can't. And those struggles can point us to him. God desires for us to be drawn to him. And this is not an, an isolated theme in this particular little chunk in the book of Luke. All throughout Scripture, it's very, very clear. God doesn't just want us to do one particular thing or be one particular thing. He wants us to be drawn to Him. So one example of this is in Micah chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And that verse says this. It says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. I'm a fan of sarcasm in the Bible. I don't know if anyone else looks for it. I kind of do because it makes me chuckle when I see it. When Elijah's making fun of the prophets on Mount Carmel, And I think in here, you see a great little bit of sarcasm from the prophet Micah. Does God want 10,000 rams? That's, you know, the wealth of the entire community together. Does God want a river of olive oil as a sacrifice? These very valuable possessions in, in quantities that are over the top. No. I mean, of course, God does desire sacrifice. God does desire gratitude, all these things. But it says, what does God want from you? to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. God didn't just save us so we could avoid punishment. He saved us for that restored relationship with him. God saved us to call us to himself. He loves us. He made us for that purpose, to be in relationship with him. And it would be such a shame to fall short of God's best for us and let anything else distract us from what he has for us. Another place we'd see this is in Psalm chapter 51, verses 16 and 17. It says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. The Lord isn't impressed with our sacrifices, the Lord isn't just blushing at our gratitude. The Lord wants us to have a humble heart to come before Him in submission to Him. It's the best place we can be, by the way. He isn't after our sacrifices, He isn't after our actions. He's after our hearts. And everything else that we do comes out of that. It's an inside out situation. It's not get the gratitude and, and then you know, work on our heart. It's not offer the sacrifices and then we'll work on our heart. It is a heart desiring to follow after God. Yes, gratitude is a part of that relationship. We should trust him. We should bless him and praise him for the ways that he provides for us. In the vein of Hudson, even little tiny things like toys that we enjoy, even little tiny things like a great meal that we've had. But the Christian life at its heart is not about doing better, it is about desiring him. And over and over again, Jesus hammers this home in his teachings. The Christian life is not about doing better. It's about desiring him. God wants us, our lives, our hearts. God wants our obedience. He wants our worship, everything given over to him. I, I once gave a message to a group of students that they didn't like. So I'm going to do it again. I told the students, it is impossible to be an athlete and a Christian. And it's impossible to be a scientist and a Christian. It's impossible to be an artist and a Christian, a video game player and a Christian. It is impossible to be an accountant and a Christian. Because no matter which one of those things you are, you've put things in the wrong order. You are a Christian who plays sports. You are a Christian who keeps track of money and finances. You are a Christian who uses your gifts and talents to make incredible works of art. And our foundation needs to continuously be built on the idea that we are Christians who, we are not artists who follow Jesus, we are not scientists who follow Jesus, we are Christians who faithfully do science to the best of our ability with the fullest of our intellect. We are Christians who make art with the full expression of our gifts and talents and the way that God has wired us to do. God desires for us to be restored to him. Now this story on the surface is about a lack of gratitude by about nine members of people of God and the faithful gratitude of a Samaritan who upon receiving his healing returned to Jesus and said thank you with his whole heart. And gratitude is for sure important Gratitude is something we can't afford to miss out on because it shapes our hearts and our minds. It is a part of our relationship with God. It's an expression of a heart that desires to follow after Him. But God's blessings and the gratitude we experience are meant as signposts to point us to a restored relationship with Him. God is the end and the object of our faith. So first thing, be grateful this week. Don't miss out on opportunities for gratitude Look for ways to thank God. Instead of passively saying, okay, a great thing has happened, and so I'll thank God. Be conscious of it. Look for it. Find things that you can praise God for because He has blessed each and every one of us in many, many ways. And even if you're having a particularly difficult day or week or year or decade, there are still opportunities for gratitude. And find contentment in what you have rather than being fixated on things that you don't. But more than that, more than the contentment, more than the gratitude, more than any other thing that you can do, go to God. Go to God in prayer, as we're going to do over and over again throughout this uh, coming year. Come to a prayer meeting. Start one at your house. Go to the Lord in prayer. Talk with Him. Dwell with Him. Spend time with Him. Go to God in worship. Consider how you might make worship through music, or any other means a part of your life outside of this place and set aside and carve out moments of worship to God. Go to him and walk humbly with him in all circumstances. Don't stop short at those blessings, but allow them to draw you to him. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful that you put signposts in our life to, draw us to you, Lord, help us not to be like those nine men who had faith, who trusted enough to receive that healing, but then stopped short of the greatest gift of all, which is knowing you and walking with you. Lord, you don't desire for us to pour out everything in our life in a show of worship with no heart behind it. God, you desire for us to walk humbly with you. So help us to faithfully do that hour in and hour out, day in and day out for your glory and for our good. Amen.